0: And now, Revival Fires International presents the Revival Fires Radio Broadcast with the dynamic evangelistic ministry of Dr. Tim Todd, a powerful voice for God and country. Welcome to this very special
1: Resurrection Day edition of the Revival Fires Radio Broadcast. Jesus has risen. He is alive and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Even in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, we still have this glorious hope that there is resurrection power still available today for everyone. Dr. Tim Todd has a resurrection message that will stir your heart and remind you of dependable truths that are indicators of the season that we are living in as he delivers this powerful message from Philippians chapter 2 entitled, The Cup, The Cross, and The Crown.
2: It's been over a hundred years ago now that one of the most distinguished presidents ever to serve in office, Abraham Lincoln, was shot to death April 15th, 1865 in Ford Theater in Washington, D.C. Tragedy struck our land. In fact, our nation was paralyzed and sent into shock as a result of this assassination. And I'm told that as they brought his body back to Springfield, Illinois for burial... They stopped in several cities along the way for memorial services. One stop that they made was Albany, New York, the capital of the state of New York. The streets were jammed. People by the thousands gathered around to get one last glimpse of honest Abe. They climbed up into trees and up on top of tall buildings to get one last look at Abraham Lincoln. And in the midst of all this, there was a very stirring scene that took place that I believe has significance for the message that I'm going to be sharing in this hour. And that is that in that crowd, there was a black mama with a child not quite two years old. And they couldn't even see into the casket because the crowd was so great. So she took a little boy and she lifted him high into the air above that crowd, facing towards that casket. And with big old tears streaming down her cheeks, she shouted this message to her boy. She said, Take a long look, honey, because that man died for you. When I heard this story about this mama and the compassion that she had for Abraham Lincoln, I couldn't help but think of another scene. And that is the scene of Jesus Christ hanging on that old rugged cross. And I thought to myself, if we as pastors and evangelists and Christian leaders, if we as God's people, could take our friends, our family, our loved ones that are unsaved and lift them high above the sin, the dim, the racket, the noise of this world and shout to them the message that mama shouted to her boy. Take a long look at Jesus Christ because he died for you. He died for you, that's the message. He said in his word, look unto me and be ye saved. Not just a glimpse, not just a glance, but a long look is what I want you to take tonight. Young person, I want you to drink from the fountains filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, where sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. Jesus said in his word, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I want you to look at three things in the life and the ministry of our Lord. One is the cup, the next is the cross, and the next is the crown. First of all, I want you to take a long look at this cup. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 20, 22. Are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink from and to be baptized with the baptism that I am to be baptized with. Jesus said, are you able to drink from the cup, the one who emptied himself of being the son of God, the one who emptied himself of the kingly robes of heaven and then took upon himself the robes of sinful flesh. One of the things that Jesus talked about in his earthly ministry, was the cup. You remember when Jesus went into Gethsemane's garden and he fell on his knees and he prayed as never a man has prayed before. The Bible says that Jesus prayed with sweat that came from his body as it were great drops of blood. He fell on his knees and he fell on his face and he prayed with such agony and sorrow of soul. But do you remember what the heart of his prayer was? The heart of his prayer was this. He prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, wait a minute. Why wasn't Jesus concerned about the nails or the spike or the spit, the spittle, the spear that would be rammed into his side, the crown of thorns that would be rammed onto his head? Why wasn't Jesus praying about any of that? Why wasn't Jesus praying about his position of power as the only begotten Son of God, or his trial before Pilate and Caiaphas? He wasn't praying about any of that. It was the cup that was giving him trouble. It was the cup that was bothering him. It was the cup that he was wrestling and struggling over that was causing him to literally sweat blood. What was it about that cup, my friend? There is a mystery surrounding that cup that is more vast than the mystery of the incarnation. There is a mystery surrounding that cup that is deeper than the mystery that blankets the black hours when Calvary's lamb hung on that old rugged cross and he cried out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It blows your mind when you try to figure it out. He whose eyes first reflected the glitter of the sun, and he watched the fiery trail of the comet as it went down through boundless space, is now shrinking from a cup? He whose mind conceived the universe, calculated a plan for the ages, is now trembling with a cup? What is the meaning of this cup? My friend, this cup contained the sins of all the world every sin that I've ever committed, that you've ever committed, that the whole universe has ever committed. It was all in that cup and Jesus drank that cup. The wheels of redemption stand still as the Son of God with trembling fingers raises that cup. But there was more to it than that. You remember what it says in 1 Peter 2, 24. By his stripes we were healed you see not only the sins of all the world yours and mine were in that cup and jesus was being forced to drink that cup but what about all the sickness and disease you see, the cross of Calvary is not only the shed blood to save you from sin, but on that cross, our Lord, there is healing as well as salvation in the cross. There is healing. By his stripes, we were healed. He said his word, and he healed you. His word is healing and medicine to your bones. He is Jehovah Rafi. He is the great physician. Realize then... That to get to that cross, it meant Jesus had to drink that cup. He had to. But our Lord and Savior with trembling fingers, he raised that cup, he raised it up, and he drained it to its bitter dregs. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. The cross was in that cup, and Jesus drank that Now for the application If you are really trying to live for God You are going to go through Gethsemane's in your life There is a mystery surrounding what happened on that cross That cannot be explained by mortal tongue As the son of God hung on that old rugged cross He cried out these words, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who among us can understand that? Who among us can comprehend those lines from the Son of God hanging on an old rugged cross to his Father in heaven? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had forsaken his only son hanging on that old rugged cross. Why? When Jesus hung on that cross, the sins of all the world, yours and mine, they were all on him. And if God would have looked down at his only son hanging on that cross, what if that would have been your son or your daughter hanging on that cross and you had the power that God has? How many of you could have looked at your son or daughter hanging on that cross And have God's power and not help your son or daughter. None of us could have. We don't want our loved ones to hurt. I'd rather be in pain than to see my children hurt. How about you? Most of you know our twin girls, Miracle Joy and Mariah Faith. At birth, Miracle weighed one pound. Miracle Joy dropped down to 12 ounces before she started growing. The doctors called us into his office at three weeks old. When Miracle Joy was three weeks old and the doctor said, we have poked her little body and have IVs in both her arms, her legs, and her head, but we're afraid that her veins are gonna collapse and we need to do a central line placement. And since she only weighs 12 ounces, we're gonna to have to start it way over here, go through her vein and across to her heart. The doctor said for a normal size baby, it's a standard procedure, but for a 12 ounce baby, it is a very serious operation. We gave the permission to do it. The surgery went fine, but at three o'clock in the morning, My wife and I, our telephone rang in the middle of the night. It was the doctor. The doctor said, Reverend Todd, we've lost Miracle Joy's heart rate and blood pressure. We gave her a shot of a stimulant to bring her back to life, and it didn't work. So we took our thumbs and did chest compressions on her 12-ounce body to bring her back to life like you would do a heart patient with the palms of your hands, except they had to do it with their thumbs since she was so tiny. They said, we were able to resuscitate her, but we don't know how long she's going to last, and you and your wife need to rush to the hospital as quickly as you can to spend some time with your daughter before she dies. When my wife and I got to the NICU, we walked into that room where Miracle Joy laid. Her body was gray and glazed over. She just looked lifeless, and as any daddy would want to do, I reached down to touch her, and To comfort her and the doctor grabbed me by the wrist and said not only can you not pick her up because you see we couldn't pick Miracle Joy up until she was about two and a half months old but the doctor said not only can you not pick her up but right now you can't even touch her because the least bit of a stimulant at this point could cause her to go into a cardiac arrest so I stood there and I looked at Miracle Joy's little body she had needles coming in and out of both of her arms needles coming in and out of both of her feet her legs, a needle in her head. She had tubes running in and out of both of her ears, her nose, her mouth, and her belly button. And I looked at her laying there just helpless, and I could do nothing to help her. Couldn't even touch her, let alone help her. And the Spirit of God spoke to me, and God said, Tim, this is just an inkling of a fraction of what it was like for me to have to leave my son hanging on that cross. God said, and Tim, you've got several children I only have one. None of us can comprehend the love of God. Miracle Joy and her twin sister, Mariah Fay are totally healed, have no problems at all. God has totally healed their bodies, and they are doing fantastic with no medical problems whatsoever. My friend, I'm convinced the reason why God turned his back on his only son hanging on that old rugged cross is so that he wouldn't have to turn his back on you and me. When we come to give our lives to him, come to be saved, come to be forgiven, Because, friend, I'm convinced that if God would have looked down at his only son hanging on that tree, that the long arm of God would have reached across time and eternity. He would have ripped those nails, that spike out of his hands and his feet. He would have lifted that crown of thorns off of his head. That the son of God would have been born into the arms of God back into heaven where he really belonged. God turned his back on his only son hanging on that cross so that he wouldn't have to turn his back on you and me. He cried from that cross, and there was a darkness that fell in midday. What was happening? The window shades of heaven were being pulled. The Bible teaches us that Jesus died on that cross to save us from hell. And when Jesus went to that cross, it was the same as him going to hell for us. And you'll notice that the things that Jesus is saying from that cross are the very same things that the people of hell are saying. Jesus said, i thirst is that not what the rich man said in luke chapter 16 in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment he seeth father abraham afar off lazarus in his bosom he cried father abraham have mercy on me send lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for i'm tormented in this flame that's the cry of the people of hell matthew 8:12. 12 it says that hell is a place of outer and eternal darkness Hell is a place where God has been forsaken. And tonight as I preach, no doubt all over hell, people are crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was as if an eternity of hell was compressed into six electrifying hours, put into a red hot blanket, and wrapped around the Son of God. An eternity of hell was experienced in six hours. As the Son of God hung on that old rugged cross. Take a long look at that cross. There's more there than meets fleshly eyes. There was an earthquake. Is there any meaning or significance to this earthquake that took place as Jesus hung on that cross? You better believe it. You remember when they had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? And the people gathered in the streets of Jerusalem with their palm branches. And they praised and glorified Jesus as he rode that donkey down the street. And the religious leaders approached Jesus and said, Teacher, you want us to tell these people in church that are making so much noise? You want us to tell them to be quiet? You want us to tell them to shut up? You remember how Jesus responded? He said, don't tell these people to be quiet. Because if they hold their peace, then the very rocks will cry out. When Jesus hung on that old rugged cross, suspended between heaven and earth, the people had withheld their hosannas, their praises, and their hallelujahs. At a time when the voices of men and women and young people were not praising and glorifying God, it was then that all heaven broke loose and the ground began to shake with a mighty earthquake. You see, when they took that old rugged cross with Jesus hanging on it, and they lifted it high into the air and they dropped it into the earth, it was like a sharp knife being stabbed deep into the belly of the earth. And the earth is the creation of God. Think about this, the earth's creator was hanging on the cross that he made on the world that was made by him and when they took that old rugged cross with Jesus hanging on it and they lifted it high into the air and they dropped it into the hill of Golgotha, the ground began to shake with a mighty earthquake. Gabriel and 12 legions of angels hovered over the realm of the universe and all Jesus would have had to have done hanging limp on that cross would have been to have given a nod and at his command Gabriel and 72,000 angels swords unsheathed would have come down and swept those shouting, those howling multitudes of people straight into hell where they really belonged but instead Jesus went to hell for you on that cross my friend, listen to me. If we won't shout hallelujahs, if we won't lift our voice, if we won't praise him, if we won't worship him, if we won't glorify him out loud, he said he'll cause the rocks to cry out and praise his name. Don't let the rocks do something God wants you to do and me to do. Take a look at the cup and drink ye all of it. Take a look at the cross and see what was happening there. And then finally, take a look at that crown. When they hauled Jesus off of that cross, they laid him in a borrowed tomb. And the reason it was a borrowed tomb is because he wasn't gonna need it very long. Jesus blazed a trail from that cross all the way to the crown. It was a bloodstained trail. And that blood was not the blood of any animal. Oh no, that blood was the blood of, Of the only begotten Son of the living God. No other blood like it. The crown that our Lord received was not the crown of thorns that men made and are still making and putting on the brow of the Son of God. The crown that our Lord received was not made by men. You remember what it says in Hebrews 2, 9. For unto him that has been made a little lower than the angels unto suffering and death. Now hath God crowned him with glory and honor. The crown that our Lord received must have been the crown that God gave his only son when he came back from his mission here on the earth. Can you fathom what happened in heaven when Jesus got home? You'll see that they must have had the biggest parade, the biggest processional that heaven could ever have. I in mean, marching and shouting up and down the streets of glory. There must have been all kinds of shouting when Jesus got back to heaven. It would be hard to imagine what the heavenly host did. Then I can see the Son of God walking up to his Father in heaven that loves him so. And I can see Father God reaching over to heaven's treasure chest, pulling out the most beautiful crown that heaven could ever make and crowning his only begotten son, Lord of all, Lord of all. I can hear the heavenly host singing it. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, crown him, Lord of all, Lord of all, Lord of all. Somebody give him praise, he's worthy of it. Take a long look at that cup, at that cross, at that crown. With the gospel in America today that's so popular, everybody wants the crown. Is that true? We all want the benefits of the cross, but it all starts with the cup of commitment. That's where it starts. Now, here's the problem. Some will take that cup, young person, that cup of commitment, they'll take a little sip out of it. Some will take a couple of swallows. Some will even take that cup of commitment and they'll drink half of it but it's not until as Jesus said, drink ye all of it. It will cost you your life to follow Jesus Christ. It will cost you your life to be his disciple. Nothing less will do. The hardest thing for you to give up is not your money. The hardest thing for you to give up is yourself. We don't want to give up ourselves. We don't want to put Jesus completely in the driver's seat of our life. A commitment is essential in everything in life. Is that true? And it most certainly is imperative in your walk with God. A marriage without a commitment will fail. There has to be a commitment on the part of the husband and wife. Without a a commitment to your marriage vows, a commitment to each other. Without a commitment, you will fail. Your marriage will fail. Young person, without a commitment, you will fail as a student. Whether it's in grade school, middle school, junior high, high school, unless you have a commitment to your studies and to what you're studying to be, then you'll fail as a student. A friendship without a commitment won't last. There has to be a commitment on your job. Whatever job that you have, unless you're committed to your work, then you'll lose that job. And without a commitment to Jesus Christ, which is drinking of the cup of surrender, you will never amount to anything for God. I'm not just telling you words up here tonight. I've had to fight the devil tooth and toenail to be standing here right now. Many of you have done the same thing. What am I saying? I'm saying it's the cup. You've got to drink of the cup, not a sip, not a swallow, not half of it, but you've got to turn it up and drain it to its bitter dregs. A 10-year-old boy came forward in a revival in Enterprise, Alabama, got down on his knees and began to weep profusely before God at the altar. So I came over and I got on my knees next to him and I put my arm around him and I said, young man, I wanna pray with you. What have you come forward for? He looked at me and that 10 year old boy with trembling lips said, brother Todd, I've come tonight to renew my commitment to Jesus Christ. And when he said that, I thought, dear God, every one of us need to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ every day. You need to have a commitment to Jesus that is so rock solid that you'd be willing to lay down your life to keep it. That kind of a commitment is not gonna be moved if company comes when it's time to go to church or if it rains on Sunday morning or any other time, if you've really had a Gethsemane experience. That's one where you are stripped of yourself. Listen to these lines. They barred a bed to lay his head when Christ the Lord came down. They barred a beast from the far, far east for him to ride to town but the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed the bread when the crowd that he fed on the grassy mountainside. He borrowed the dish of broken fish with which he satisfied. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed the ship in which to sit to teach the multitudes. He borrowed a nest for him a rest. He never had a home so rude. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed a room on the way to the tomb for the passion lamb to eat. They borrowed a cave for him a grave. They borrowed a winding seat. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The crown on his head was worn in my stead. For me, the Savior died. For the guilt of my sins, the nails ripped in when Christ they crucified. Though the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own, they rightly were mine. They rightly were yours. Yes, Jesus drank a cup with our sins in it, not his. Jesus drank a cup with the sickness and disease of yours and mine in it, not his. He went to a cross that rightfully belonged to you and me, not him. He built a bridge over hell, made out of that old rugged cross, so that now, if you go to hell, you're gonna to have to climb over that old rugged cross to get to a place that God never intended for you to go to. You're gonna to have to wade through the blood of Jesus you're gonna to have to climb over the Son of God to get to hell. I come back to it one more time, then I close. Young person, this building is your Gethsemane. Sir, ma'am, this sanctuary is your Gethsemane and mine. You see, Gethsemane is not just a garden anymore, but more importantly, Gethsemane is a place of decision where you make that all out choice to go all out for God. My prayer is that when you leave this building tonight, your commitment to Jesus Christ will be so rock solid that you will take that cup of commitment and you will drink it and drain it to its bitter dregs. Not a sip, not a swallow, not half of it, but that you will completely turn it up and drain it. After you drain that cup to its bitter dregs, then you are ready to take up your cross and follow Jesus.
1: On this Resurrection Day, be reminded that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you if you are a believer. Because Jesus endured the cup, the cross, and the crown, and has been resurrected, we can walk in complete victory over death, hell, and the grave. We want you to know that Dr. Tim Todd believes that the Lord will protect you and supernaturally has the power to cover you and your families during this challenge with the coronavirus. Psalm 91 says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The coronavirus is subject to the authority in the name of Jesus, and we pray that the blood of Jesus will cover you and protect you from this current pestilence. Let me encourage you to get this entire unedited message by going to the store at our revivalfires.org website. Also, we welcome you to take advantage of our podcast where you will find an entire collection of powerful messages just like the one you've heard today. We would also love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Send us your prayer requests and let us know how we can be standing in prayer with you. God bless you. And thanks for listening to today's broadcast.
0: You've been listening to the Revival Fires radio broadcast with Dr. Tim Tom. Revival Fires International is a dynamic ministry fanning the flames of revival across America and around the world through Revival Services, Evangelistic Crusades, providing more than 300,000 Bibles for our troops defending America, giving more than 2.5 million Truth For Youth Bibles to America's young people, providing one million Bibles for the people of Cuba that have never had a Bible, providing more than one million Bibles for Russian soldiers and more than 2.5 million Bibles for Russian young people, television and radio ministry and internet evangelism. To receive a CD-DVD combo of today's message or give a one-time tax-deductible financial gift to Revival Fires to help us continue the vitally important work that God is doing through Revival Fires International, you may go to revivalfires.org Or write to us at Revival Fires, P.O. Box 372, West Monroe, Louisiana, 71294. Until our next program, thank you for praying for us. And thank you for helping us take the whole gospel to the whole world before Jesus comes.